You're listening to our series on Ephesians. We hope this series will inspire and encourage you. For more information, other resources and media, please visit citychurchleads.net. We have a very special man sharing with us this morning. Well, we get used to seeing people, don't we? We get used to, we take people for granted in our families, our friends, we take them for granted. So I just wanted to really honour Mark this morning, uh, this afternoon, um, because, you know, he's here, he is here week in, week out. And okay, not every week he's speaking, but, you know, we can take, we can take him for granted. Um, in Romans 12, 10, it says, Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honouring each other. So I just wanted to, as he comes, honour him for what he's carrying this morning, this afternoon, to share, um, for what God's put in his heart, um, not just for what he's carrying for today, but what he's carrying long-term as well. Um, Just honour the man that he is. So if we can do that as he comes, that would be brilliant. How cosy is this? Hey, where is everybody? Easter holidays and you all go on holiday. How dare you? That's just shocking. (laughs) taking time off I don't know anyway thank you for coming in and making it a little bit more intimate and uh, I've moved this forward a little bit so forgive me that you're on my 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 back but you've turned your chair around so that's okay I'll try and glance around and not lose my place all right good okay so um uh, if you can just flick it just to the next slide so a time for everything is the title of today's talk Uh, and of course if you remember before we had our three-week kind of break of just looking at other things, including Easter. Um, We're going through the book of Ephesians. And so I'm kind of hoping that you've kept up and that you've spent the last week or so, the last four weeks nearly, really researching Ephesians, looking into chapter 5, doing lots of theology uh, and investigating what the words are, what they mean, what the original Greek and the Hebrew, etc. means. You've all done that, haven't you? Yeah, excellent. That's good. It's a good start. Um, you've at least read chapter 5, I hope. But if not, that's fine because, as with every week, I am going to read chapter 5. Um, but I think it's useful just to remind ourselves of the, last, uh, the first four weeks of Ephesians and what each week, in brief, spoke about. So we began the series with the talk, Stop Putting Yourself Down. And this talk focused on the fact that we have an inheritance in Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I ask, because I was the one that did it, ask you to fully appreciate that you, every single one of you, are accepted in the Beloved. And then Kathy asked you the following week to please take your seat. And she reminded us that we, are once, we were once dead, but we are now, all those who believe, alive in Christ. Saved by grace, pulled out of the pit, and we're now seated with Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father. That was good stuff as well. The following week, you were then encouraged to keep dreaming your dreams. And as we, as we read Ephesians 3, we were reminded about the available resources that we have in God to make things happen. Does this ring a bell with folk? Are you beginning to think back on these things? And finally, um, before that break, I asked you once again to put on a new wardrobe. And I challenged us all to put off our old mindsets and discard them completely so that we're able to let the Holy Spirit rebuild 
our thoughts around Christ. And so finally, we reach week five, which, if you've been paying attention, is now chapter five of Ephesians. And I'm going to break a couple of rules straight away of public speaking. I wonder if someone could get me a drink. That's not the first rule, but a drink of water would be amazing. <clears throat> and and the, f- the first rule I'm going to break is that this talk today will probably challenge quite a few of you to the degree where you may begin to switch off and become a little bit defensive. <laughs> and so that's my first rule of public speaking broken because, thank you so much, one second. Because right away, you're probably all sitting there looking a little bit stiffer, feeling a little bit more inward, and you're wondering probably, what is it that I'm about to say? So I'm going to ask you from the outset that you give this talk a chance. Take in what I'm saying, and then simply take some time after today to evaluate the main points of the talk and then measure them against how you manage your life. It will become clearer as I move onwards and through the talk. And if you've read Ephesians 5, then you might be starting to think, okay, I might have an idea of what he's talking about. Just remind you, the title is called A Time for Everything. The second rule I'm going to break on public speaking is the perception that the person who is speaking has it all together. Now, I was quite honest and open with you a couple of weeks ago, so I hope that you can continue to listen to my words, accepting that I can be as susceptible to weaknesses as the next guy, and I pity the next guy. And, and so I say to you that in this talk today and in the discussions that you're going to have around your tables, that I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching or talking or having a conversation with you. And why then should you continue listening to me if I've not got it all together? And in response to that, I say this, because I'm willing to continue to learn, to grow, to mature, and to move forward. Never suggesting, not once, that I'm done and I understand all there is to understand. And I would hope that we can all say the same thing in this room this very afternoon, that we're all learning, we all don't have it all together, but we're so willing to move forward, to mature, to learn, and to grow. So we're all, straight away, on the same footing. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. Now, you'll have to forgive me, guys, because I've got a bit of a cold. Thank you, I was waiting for that. At least, at least one of you said it. I've had it for over a week now, it's beginning to annoy me, but it does mean that my throat does dry quite quickly. So let's open our Bibles, please, to Ephesians 5. If you don't have one, please stick up your hand and we'll get you one from the the side there, or fire up your Bible apps or whatever, but I'd really love you to follow this with me, because I'm going to read from the Amplified Version, which isn't um, that kind of common a version, people don't generally bring that with them, it's one of those that you go back to research with, because it's so expansive. But I'm going to read from it because I I really like it. So, here we go. Therefore, be imitators of God. Copy him and follow his example. As well, beloved children imitate their father. 
and walk in love, esteeming and delighting in one another, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a slain offering and sacrifice to God for you, so that it became a sweet fragrance. But immorality, sexual vice, and all impurity of lustful, rich, wasteful living or greediness must not even be named among you as is fitting and proper among saints, God's consecrated people. Let there be no filthiness, obscenity, indecency, nor foolish and sinful, silly and corrupt talk, nor coarse jesting, which we are not fitting or becoming, but instead voice your thankfulness to God. For be sure of this, that no person practicing sexual vice or impurity in thought or in life, or one who is covetous, who has a lustful desire for the property of others and is greedy for gain, for he in effect is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one delude and deceive you with empty excuses and groundless arguments for these sins. For through these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of rebellion and disobedience. Do not associate or be sharers with them. For once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Lead the lives of those native-born to the light. For the fruit, the effect, the product of the light or the spirit consists in every form of kindly goodness, uprightness of heart and trueness of life and try to learn in your experience what is pleasing to the Lord let your lives be constant proofs of what is most acceptable to him take no part and have no fellowship with the fruitless deeds and enterprises of darkness but instead let your lives become so in contrast as to expose and reprove and convict them For it is a shame even to speak or mention the things that such people practice in secret. But when anything is exposed and reproved by the light, it is made visible and clear. And where everything is visible and clear, there is light. Therefore he says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. And Christ will shine, make day dawn upon you, and give you light. Look Carefully then how you walk. Live purposefully and worthily and accurately, not as the unwise and witless, but as wise, sensible, intelligent people, making the very most of the time, buying up each opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be vague and thoughtless and foolish, but understanding and firmly grasping what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but ever be filled and stimulated with the Holy Spirit. Speak out to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, offering praise with voices and instruments, and making melody with all your heart to the Lord at all times, and for everything giving thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. Be subject to one another, out of reverence for Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Wives, be subject, be submissive, and adapt yourselves to your own husband as a service to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, himself the saviour 
of his body. As the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be subject in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to the church to himself in glorious splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such things, that she might be holy and faultless. Even so, husbands should love their wives as being, in a sense, their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes, nourishes, his, and, sorry, excuse me, nourishes and carefully protects and cherishes it, as Christ does the church, because we are members, parts of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is very great, but I speak concerning the relation of Christ and the church. However, let each man of you, without exception, love his wife as being, in a sense, his very own self. And let the wife see that she respects and reverences her husband, that she notices him, regards him, honors him, prefers him, venerates and esteems him, and that she defers to him, praises him and loves him and admires him exceedingly. Wow. There is so much, so much in, in just this one chapter. I mean, there's so much in every chapter that we've been in so far. But, unfortunately, we can't go through every fascinating subject and verse and what have you. So I'm going to have to boil it down to maybe a couple of verses for the sake of this morning. And like I say, I hope what I'm about to share with you challenges you but helps you all at the same time. I mean, the, the, the verses about the husband and the wife and the man and the woman... That's such a hot topic right now, particularly with the, within the Anglican church. But, like I say, I want us to focus on a couple of key verses. I'm going to avoid that hot potato and just move on to something and pull something out that you might not have expected. And I'm going to read these key verses from the J.B. Phillips version of Scripture. And these key verses are this, and it's from Ephesians 5, 16 to 17. So it's those two verses. Make the best use of your time. Despite all the evils in these days, don't be vague, but grasp firmly what you know to be the will of the Lord. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever wished for a 36-hour day? I know I have, sometimes. And that would be, that'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Now, a 36-hour day, it'd, it'd relieve some pressure I've not been able to get enough done because there's not enough hours in the day. We do. We do. And so hopefully this is going to challenge that mindset. <laughs> For loads of us, life, our life can feel so frantic. We try and get so much in. And often this leads to loads of unfinished stuff. Paul, the writer of Ephesians, addresses in these key verses this issue of time. And he regards it as a sacred trust given to us by God and to use and invest wisely and conscientiously. If we look around in today's Western world, we, we'll find so much information on how to manage 
our time. There are books, there are YouTube clips, there are TED Talks, there are smartphone apps even that, that have all the answers on how to organize and manage your time. I know, I've downloaded a few. But you know what? I'm going to let you in to a little secret. Time is impossible to manage. Time, on a relative scale, is pretty constant. You get 60 seconds in one minute, you get 60 minutes in one hour, and 24 hours make up one day. How many of you knew that? Let me say this, let me say this from the off, let me cover this whole kind of talk with this following sentence. God created a day, and he created the 24 hours that exist in it. If we needed more time to do stuff, he would have made the day longer. So clearly, 24 hours is enough time to get stuff done. I'll repeat that because I think it's important. God created a day and he created the 24 hours that exist in it. If we needed more time to get stuff done, he'd have made the day longer. Paul, in these key verses, doesn't actually talk about managing your time, but instead he talks about making the best use of it. The issue here, folks, isn't really about time management, but it's about the management of ourselves in relation to the time we have. You can't manage time, but you can manage yourself. Verses 16 and 17 of Ephesians mentions the evils in these days. And one of the evils of living in the 21st Western world, 21st century Western world, is the seemingly continuous treadmill of activity. Almost everyone that you could talk to will probably be stressed in some way or another. And maybe I'll just push this in there a little bit. We are no busier now than our forebearers would have been 100 years ago, 150 years ago. We've just got more stuff to do with the time. People 100, 150 years ago might have started working down the pit, for an example, at early hours in the morning, not get home until late in the evening, have their supper, go to bed, get up, work, go home. They're busy. Their time is filled. We haven't got more time. We just do stuff with it differently than we used to do. And because we're doing more stuff, it feels busier. Yeah? Okay, it's good. I'm beginning to see kind of faces going, hmm, not sure about that. That's fine. That's good. I want us to really think about this. Let's talk about stress. Stress not only comes from pressures, demands, and the general pace of life, but some research has shown that the ineffectiveness which can come from being too stressed also comes from a tension within. Many, many demands can be put on us, which, although urgent, they're not important. 
All too often we default, and I'm sure some of you can agree with this, we default to majoring in the minors and minoring in the majors. In other words, letting the urgent things distract us from the important, the good things from the best. We need to learn how to organize, how to put first things first. Omit lesser things and fully determine God's priorities in our lives. I'm giving an example of that. I have a God-given responsibility towards the people of City Church Leeds. But my first priority, and I'm sorry to let you tell you this, is my family. That is my first priority. And if, after God, I'm not putting them first in my life, then at some point down the road, I'm going to hit problems. And I'm sure we're all very much aware of those church leaders, pastors, wherever you want to call them, people not devoting enough time to their families. So if my kids at the end of the meeting, guys, are running around, or they got upset, or they look tired, or Kath looks tired, then you're going to have to catch me on another day, because I'm taking them home. Because I put my family first. You are a very close second. (laughs) And I care about you. And if I didn't, I wouldn't bother wasting my time putting all this together. But it's just about priorities. That's what I'm trying to get at. Because believe you me, a priority is coming together with your church family. Celebrating together, worshipping together, listening together, and talking together. That is a good priority. So where am I? Okay. One of the devil's greatest strategies is to rob us of our time through endless activity. Another great thief of our time, and I'm really good at this at times, is to procrastinate. It's not a boast, I'm just telling you, being honest with you. And to procrastinate means this. It means to put off doing something, especially out of habitual carelessness or laziness, to postpone or to delay needlessly. Don't be vague. Be decisive. God gave us time to be our servant. Unfortunately, it has made us its slave, pushing us around from one thing to the next. So a good question to ask them is, what can you do about this? And I would suggest that And remember, I'm preaching to myself as much as to you. That you start taking stock and properly evaluate just how your time is being spent. I would suggest you start by taking stock and properly evaluate just how your time is being spent. Unless we stop and and sort out this multiplicity of tasks, we'll always be running ourselves ragged. Doing a lot, but probably accomplishing very little. When we stop to evaluate, it'll become clear that the problem is not shortage of time. But it's actually a need to reevaluate priorities. And I suggest that these priorities are reevaluated in the light of eternal truths and plan your activities to achieve maximum effectiveness with minimum weariness. When God told man to rest, 
on the seventh day, I would say it was also to enable him to look back on the past week and to do an evaluation on that, as well as looking forward and planning the week to come. Make a time each week on whatever your day of rest is. It doesn't necessarily have to be a Sunday. Give yourself a day of rest. Look, evaluate, look back, and then look forward. If you don't take control of your life, it will become controlled by the demands and pressures of others. So the bottom line to all that, take control of your life, establish priorities, and do all that in the light of eternal truths and values. In a, in a small way, in fact, you don't have to wait until your day of rest. Why not reserve a few moments every day just to prayerfully take stock? Just a few moments, just stop. Switch off your phone, close your eyes, and just, just prayerfully evaluate what's happened so far. Delegate some tasks to others. I'm shocking at delegating. I'm really, really bad. It's a, it's a habit you get into of micromanaging stuff. It's a bad habit to get into. Because you start thinking, do you know, it's quite a selfish thing as well. Because you start thinking that you're the only person that can do that job. Yeah. And what you do by not delegating is you don't give anybody else the opportunity to rise, raise up, rise up, whatever the words are. To, to, <laughs> thank you, to grow. <laughs> you don't give any opportunity for anybody to grow, to make mistakes yeah. and to learn and to mature. Mm-hmm. So delegate tasks to others. Don't be a people pleaser. Remember, you've got an audience of one. The only person you've got to impress is Jesus. And go all out to impress him. Don't be a people pleaser. And really importantly, and there are certain people who aren't here this morning, and I really wish they were for this next sentence, learn to say no. Can you all say the word no? One, two, three. No. No. Practice saying no. No. Unless I ask you to do something. (laughs) That would be hypocrisy. (laughs) Excuse me. Don't give in to constant demands from others. Refuse to be controlled by continual deadlines, unreasonable deadlines. Find out what resources are available and make use of them. People are a resource. That sounds a bit cold, but... I want to be a resource to you. I would hope that you want to be a resource to me. You know, every limb supplies and all that. Don't get saddled with an unreasonable workload or overcommit yourself beyond your capacity. It is so, so important that you take time off for rest, relaxation, fun and enjoyment. Okay, Kathy, would you mind starting to dish out the questions? Would that be all right? Okay, so we've got some questions. If you can slide them through, I'll go through them with you. So the first one, what are some of the things that can motivate us to become overcommitted? Two, 
Why do some of us find it hard to involve others and to even delegate? There's a TV there if you can't quite see. Um, read Proverbs 6, verses 6 to 11, and Romans 12, 11. What does the Bible have to say about slothfulness and laziness? Read Mark 1, verses 35 to 39. How did Jesus prepare himself for a busy day? Read John 11, verses 1 to 6. How did eternal perspective help Jesus deal with the pressures and the demands that we put on him? And finally, number six, how do we stop being a slave of time and make it our servant? And how does this relate to eternity? Okay, so there's the six questions. Same as always, so whatever number is on your sheet, please answer that question first. Uh, and then if you go beyond that question, please then move on to whatever question you quite fancy next. If you're out in the, in the, in the, uh, the suburbs, please come in or whatever. Come into the crowd or somebody join you or something like that. You'll find your conversation a lot more fruitful. Um, and we'll give ourselves a little bit of time to go over that, discuss that, and then I'll call us back in a little while. We have some music maestro, please. Okay, so we're back for the short second half. I don't normally do this, but I just feel prompted just to ask uh, the groups around the tables if there was any, any particular point that one of you may have made or a thought that you, you kind of voiced um, that was quite kind of poignant and, and straight to the point or, or anything you just think would be interesting to share with the larger group. Hey, okay. Um, Catherine, have you got the mic? No, it's over here. Called you Catherine then. That was very professional, wasn't it? Thank you, Catherine, for the mic. <laughs> it's a church title, isn't it? Um, I just want to reiterate what I said in our group that it was very key. We, we were looking at the Mark 1 35 to 39. For those of you who haven't looked at it, it's, it's basically that Jesus went out to a solitary place where he prayed. And then when the disciples kind of said, came, oh, everybody's looking for you, you know, where are you, etc. He said very decisively, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. And it just, for me, underlined effectively what you've been trying to help us to think about. He knew what his priority was. Because he'd spent time with his father. Amen. Yeah. Brilliant. Really, really good. Thank you. Okay, anybody else? Uh, just an observation from our group. Uh, same verse, um, but everybody's time and method was different. Interesting. Everybody's time method was different. Okay. Um, yeah, we, um, we picked out number three, in particular Romans 12, verses 11. Verse 11. And basically what he was saying was, um, don't be lazy, serve the Lord, keep going, don't give up. And I think, it's, um, I think it's a lesson for each of us that we all go through difficult times, we all go through times when it's not as, as pleasant as we would like. But it, it just talked to me when God says that we've got to keep going. Absolutely. And I believe as a Christian we have a responsibility to keep, go to keep going when things are tough. Absolutely. Because we know when we come out the other side that what God gives us and what provides and what, what happens when we come out and our faith grows. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we don't give up, do we? Whatever. No, never, never. Brilliant, thank you. 
Anybody else? Um, yeah, this just came to me. We were, we were talking a little bit about um, kind of factoring in time, um, sorry, rest into your daily or weekly um, schedule, timetable, yeah. And like you were saying, um, we have kind of, we should have the, the day of rest each, um, each week and everything, and, and we should set aside some time each day as well as a bit of rest time. Um, and I think you don't really realise how valuable rest is until you've had it, and it's really easy to just go along on like this plane of being busy and stressed and kind of thinking you're doing yeah. okay. Yeah. And then actually when you do have a chance to step back and rest, um, and then come back to stuff anew, you realise that you're way more effective and way more kind Absolutely. of, I don't know, looking at things in a completely different light when yeah. you're rested. So um, rest. I was just thinking, um, obviously some of you know that I've spent some time in um, Russia, um, and when I was there for the year, one of the things that I found out about their culture, um, and especially people living in big cities, and in Moscow in particular, um, is that Moscow is like a really manic busy mega city it's ridiculous and and everyone there's like massively stressed it's not very nice actually to live there um <laughs> but they have this tradition um of it's just a cultural thing where like um every most um muscovites will have a um uh what they call a dacha which is like a, a little home just outside moscow kind of maybe two or three hours drive away from moscow it's like a little summer cottage type thing um, and most people either have one or they know somebody's got one. Um, and every summer, Moscow just empties of people. Um, and everyone goes away for maybe four or six weeks um, and just goes to relax for, for the whole summer. Um, which I think is a really, really good discipline. Because although it's like a cultural thing and people just do it because it's, it's culture, it's like getting away from that just manicness of life yeah. and, um, and, and just the, the stressful... Moscow city or, or whatever city you're in um, and just taking some time to just simply rest and be I think that's yeah, really really valuable really yeah great thank you you can keep hold of the, the mic um, thank you guys appreciate you sharing in verse 18 Paul says this in uh, chapter 5 don't get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery instead be filled with the spirit a drunk person and for those of you who have ever done this, will empathize. And of course, we don't do this now, do we? Um, a drunk person loses all track of time. They're totally, totally disorganized, disorientated, out of control, and slothful. Paul is saying, don't be like this. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Because you see, part of being filled with the Spirit has to do with how we handle ourselves in relation to the time God has given us to steward over. If we make an effort to get to grip of this area of our lives, the Holy Spirit will guide, direct, and empower us to lead fruitful, productive, and as much as is needed, stress-free lives. There are two different words used in the New Testament for time. Chronos in one, and from this we get the word chronology. And this is a period of duration, a measurable time, the order of events which includes the calendar, the decade, the century, the four seasons. In light of eternity, we have a responsibility to order our lives in relation to it. The other word is kairos, 
which means the immediate moment, the here and now, the moment of opportunity that passes. It can be missed and it will never be retrieved. It's gone with no guarantee that you'll ever get that opportunity again. It's special and specific and we need to grab the moment. I say again that we have a responsibility, a responsibility to so order our lives in the chronos or chronos that God is able to bring us kairos opportunities that we're not too busy or stressed to seize. And that is worth saying again. We have a responsibility to so order our lives in the chronos that God is able to bring us kairos opportunities that we're not too busy or stressed to seize. Don't let the devil rob you of your inheritance. Let an eternal accolade of your life here on earth be well done, you upright, honourable, admirable and faithful servant. You've been faithful and trustworthy over little. I will put you in charge of much. Enter into and share the joy, the delight, the blessedness which your master enjoys. That's from Matthew 25, verse 21. We're going to worship in a few moments, but I want to finish quickly by just looking at some verses in the Bible and looking quite specifically at how Jesus dealt with time. He did more in three years than we'll probably do in a lifetime. And it's important to say that the amount wasn't the amount of time that he had, but it, what he did with it. So I'd like you to note these verses down. I'm not going to go into them in, in great detail, but I'd like you to note them down so that you can maybe look at them again. Maybe look at them again within your life groups or at home at some point when you get an opportunity. So let me start. He had an eternal perspective. That's from John 9 verse 4. He had a clear sense of mission and purpose. It's in John 10 verse 10. He was a hard worker. Mark 1 verses 21 to 35. He had the right priorities. Mark 1 verse 35. He didn't give in to the demands of others. John 11, verses 3 to 6. He delegated to others. Mark 3, verses 14 to 15. He didn't let circumstances steal his sheep. Mark 4, verses 37 to 38. He wasn't distracted from the task John 7, verses 3 to 9. He finished the work his father gave him to do. John 17, verse 4. And finally, he declared triumphantly on the cross, not, I am finished, but it is finished. 
John 19, verse 30. Thank you for letting me share with you this morning. But I give greater thanks to him who has given the tools and the gifts to be able to share his wisdom with you. Bless you guys. Let's all worship together now. Let's stand to our feet. We may be small in number this morning, but we're big in heart. Let's give him all the praise that is worth, worthy of him.